2: Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by 4th & Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and the Armchair Media Network, Season 5, Temple Week. The Eagles technically escaped Amherst with a victory on Saturday, improving the 2-0 on the year, but between the lackluster performance and star quarterback Phil Dracovic's likely season-ending injury, this weekend felt like anything but a win. On today's episode, we'll preview this Saturday's road trip to Philly. Bring back our guy Sean Sylvia, and break down what life without Jerko means going forward. Matt, no two ways to
0: put it. Phil going down is is just about the worst thing we could have had happen. That feels obvious to say. It's it's terrible for him as a person, terrible for the team, terrible for us as fans, and, and frankly, Matt, it's terrible for the ACC and college football as a whole. But injuries happen. We have the best backup quarterback in the country. I think we're not. I think we're serious about that. And We're going to do our best to inject some positivity into the fan base ahead of the Owls on Saturday, but Matt, before we do, quick note from our friends in the Spotify green Room. Spotify green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to other fans, athletes, insiders, maybe some of your favorite podcast hosts all in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post game breakdowns, reacting to breaking news. It's like your own in-person message board. Just an awesome idea. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and show up to the Spotify Greenroom with your spiciest takes. Matt, let's get right to it. I don't think we're going to find a bigger Denny fan in the world than you. How are we feeling today now that he's our our guy for the next 10 plus weeks? How are the vibes? How are the vibes looking in the Philly office?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, I mean, first things first, you feel bad for Phil. I mean, he just had it all this year. I mean, it was just the hype train was, was at full blast. The, the scouts were all over him this season. Um, he was likely to be a, you know, a top three round pick easily just based on measurables alone. And, uh, it just really sucks. And I know it's football and I know injuries happen. And, you know, we talk about it all the time is he's a guy that loves contact and isn't afraid of taking the big hit. But we also say all the time, we're so scared every time he does get hit that something like this could happen. So, you know, first and foremost, it, it really, 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 really sucks for Phil. Really hoping that he can get back on the horse that hit that, you know, it sounds like surgery went well, which is the, the most important thing here. Um, and really hoping that he you know can take the next four months or so, really recover, get back to 100 um, percent and go from there. As far as the team, it, it's kind of like Denny said. I mean, it's, it's like a bittersweet, not excitement necessarily, but it is an opportunity for some of these other guys to step up. So if you want to look at the positivity, that's how you have to look at it. Whereas our team was really built on Phil and it was everyone else. Now it's, you know, it's everyone else needs to step up and, and it's really going to be a team going forward because we don't have that stud at quarterback anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think to your first point about, you know, we felt like it was inevitable in some sense, or at least we talked about it, which is not fair. But when we were saying that and watching him during Colgate and even on the first drive when he took a pretty bad hit, you know, it felt like it was going to be something where he was trying to extend a play or running, you know, running and did something to his knee. The fact that it was a seemingly, you know, fluke injury, right? Like I still haven't really seen a clear hit where I said, this is clearly where his wrist snaps. It, it almost just feels like such a You know, just the sports gods once again are coming to punch us, you know, BC fans in the balls. And it's it's really frustrating. And, and you know, we talked at length in the first episode this season about how this is the one year it felt like where we did have some depth to avoid, you know, to absorb a couple injuries, whether that was in the wide receiver room or or on the offensive line or on the defense. And we kind of joked like. You know we do have Denny, and he I think is a very capable, very strong backup quarterback. But really, this being the one area that that we couldn't afford to lose, it just it sucks this early on. I think for the the season that we all expected. Now, with that said, I think like you know we we do want to turn this into some positivity because all is not lost, and I do think you and I clearly agree on that. We might differ a little bit in our ceilings, but I think two things go in our favor. First of all, the team around. The quarterback position still is the same team that it was. And it's still just as strong. And yeah, we almost lost a, but thank God we didn't. He's fine. We have that wide receiver core. The offensive line is starting to gel. The defense is looking better and it's, or was looking better. Now, obviously last week it didn't as we'll get into, um, but they're going to continue to improve. So, you know, he, you're putting Denny in a system where he can win. And then the second piece, Matt, which I think is critical in this discussion, the rest of the ACC is an absolute Joke this year, and you go and look at our 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 calendar, and now of course you know Clemson and Vatek feel you know a little bit more daunting than they did this time last week, but Florida State looks a you know a whole heck of a lot beatable than they did this time last week, and you know as do a lot of the other ACC opponents. So for me, all is not lost. Is twelve and zero is an ACC championship much more challenging now. Obviously, that goes without saying, but I st- still think that we have a, a great chance for a remarkably special year on the Heights.
2: Right. And you look at some of the message boards and it's it's sort of like the sky's falling a little bit. I think you and I come out very differently from that. Is it going to change the way that we need to play? Yeah, it is a little bit, right? But like I said, we're, it's it's going to be much more team oriented, right? We're going to need to rely on the running backs. They're going to have to step up. And, you know, the the wideouts might have to get a little more separation. The o line's going to have to, you know, give Denny a little bit more time and open up holes in the run game. The D is maybe going to have to hold teams to, you know, 20 instead of 30, right? And then have Phil in a shootout. But not all is lost. And there's no other team on planet Earth that has... A guy like Denny waiting in the wings and we joke about it saying he's the best qb two, QB2 two in the country. That's not a joke. I actually believe that there's no other guy I'd rather have in my locker room, not just for, you know, what he can do on the field, but it's all the off the field stuff. I mean, he's the leader of that locker room. It's rare you have a backup quarterback that has those type of intangibles and, you know, what he can do on the field. He holds, he literally holds BC's single game season record, uh, for passing yards in a game, tied with Doug Flutie. No other team on planet earth, I'm pretty sure can say that. So, you know, you go back to, you know, was it 2019 Denny where he had, you know, he got thrown into the fire, um, played against some really, really good defenses. He had that, I think it was a 48% completion percentage. Let's throw that out the window because that's a, first and foremost the Steve Adazio offense, right? That's predicated on, we're going to run it unsuccessfully twice, and then we're going to throw third and long. The, the vast majority of Denny's attempts we're, uh, we're we're third and long. There were guys in his face. We didn't have the type of weapons like we, we like we have now. It's also against some really good defenses like Clemson, Notre Dame. We should talk about the Denny that we saw last season, who stepped up on so many different occasions. When you talk about Clemson coming in cold against the, the best D, D line in the country and throwing an absolute strike on that critical third down, and what he did against Louisville again, coming off the bench cold—that's so hard to do. To, to you know, you're holding the headset and the clipboard one second to go onto the field and lead your team to a victory. And then UVA goes without saying. If our defense could have stopped the nosebleed, you know, that would have been a, an, an easy win that Denny would have led us to. You know, they lit him up for 35 points, four, you know, four touchdowns, 520 yards, forget about it. So, and then even what he's done so far this year, he looks like a different player from two than he did two years ago. Frank Signetti is a quarterback whisperer for a reason. So everyone's saying that, like, you know, not only is our ceiling no longer 10 wins, but now it's like six and six. I saw some guys right. saying it's four right. and eight now. Guys, get out of here with that. If you think about it, like what what games last year would Denny not have won that Phil would have? Like I I honestly don't think it's it's a lot. And there's a few games and we're not – and Phil's the man and he's obviously, you know, one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever come through BC. But it's not like Denny, you know, doesn't have what it takes either. And right. there's a lot of games last season that Phil didn't have his A game that Denny probably could have played even better. You think about Texas State, Syracuse. Um, you know, some like Pitt, Pitt's probably an example where Jericho kind of put the team on his back. So maybe that's an example where Denny doesn't quite have that, but outside of that, maybe it, maybe, you know, it, it's our ceilings a game or two lower, but I, I don't really believe that. I think that we have the potential to really work better as a team. I will say this puts the onus on Frank Signetti a little bit more. I think there's times that, you know, Phil sort of bailed them out. I know we've, we've been on them, you know, lately and, and, and towards the end of last season where, some of the play calling was potentially a little predictable. That's not going to happen with, with Denny. It can't happen with Denny because Phil, you know, has the ability to, you know, wait for this three guys in his face and then throw a bomb to Zay 50 yards downfield. Denny doesn't quite have that. So Signetti is going to have to be a little more creative. That's my biggest question going forward. Uh, in addition to the, to the run game, if we have those things, the play action's working. I'm not worried at all about this offense.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm ready to run through a, a brick wall. I can't wait for, uh, for Saturday to get here. Matt, that was inspiring. And I think if, if Halfway doesn't, you know, play that, uh, play that on loop to the team, then, then there's, you know, something wrong with the coaching staff. But in all seriousness, to your point about, uh, he is the only quarterback in the country in which the backup comes in and it doesn't like have this massive deflating effect on the team. And that's because of his leader. And that's not to say they're, you know, again, they wouldn't rather, you know, jerk back there again, to all of the points that you listed, but there's not going to be this huge drop off in the mentality side of it. And then again, just as importantly, he is an efficient game manager and with the weapons around him. And if Halfley and Signetti can, you know, put some stuff together, he kind of is the right guy just to not make mistakes, to be smart with the football uh, and, and to kind of let his team go to work. So, you know, I, I'm not ready to uh, look. I don't feel as confident the road to 15 and 0 as I did this time last week. I'm not ready to cancel it just yet. I want to see what we have. I want to go a couple more weeks, and and you know, I think that um, I think Temple is a, is a great way for him to kind of get his feet under him. Missouri's a, a little bit of
2: a test, and then who knows what happens against uh, against Clemson. So here's the deal, Matt. It's fitting because we're playing Temple this week, home of Benjamin Franklin. He has a famous quote: "With adversity comes opportunity." And there's a, there's, and I'm I'm dead serious in saying this, our team was becoming a little too Phil centric for my liking anyway, between all the off season hype, the way that, you know, they looked early on. I'm excited about the opportunity that this presents for a lot of the guys and not just Denny, a lot of the guys on our team, defensively to step up the wide ups to step up the running game, the O line, there's a lot of opportunity. To, and it's it's going to galvanize the team. It's going to make us a better team overall. It's, you know, we'll talk about next year, but like, Jericho, I assume's coming back. He's going to get a chance to digest the playbook for another. You know, have that headset on for for four months and really digest everything. He'll come back stronger than ever. Uh, from what we know, and again, I'm, I'm you know sort of a doctor, sort of not. Um, you know, the surgery went really well. It seemed like because it, if you look at the timing, you look at the cast, you look at kind of the you know do, do some investigative journalism here. It seems like it's a fairly routine hand slash wrist fracture, and they've right. kept everything pretty tight. But it doesn't sound like it's something. It's not. It wasn't like a complicated procedure. It wasn't a ligament, right? right. Sometimes, like you look back a couple of years ago, Drew, Drew Brees had a, you know, some complicated ligament damage in his thumb. I don't think that's the case here. It just seems kind of like your your boilerplate broken wrist, broken hand that he fell on, right? It's gonna be six weeks. They're not gonna rush him back, but he's gonna come back stronger than ever. I'm I'm, I'm certain of it. So I'm excited about what the future is. But let's not forget about the here and now. This is a very good football team as it stands. And you know, road to fifteen and zero is still very much on. I love it. The vibes, the vibes are probably lower
0: throughout the rest of the BC universe, but it's good to see that we're okay here. With that, Matt, let's pivot this into uh, so UMass conversation. There was a lot of good and a lot of some good and a lot of bad, uh, but I do think we need to discuss that.
2: All right. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk UMass and Matt. Before we get started here, I just want to call a timeout. Before we get before we get too deep into UMass, that's a joke because that's how UMass started the game. They literally called the timeout, um, the literal first play of the game, which is something I've never seen before. Uh, but classic UMass there. Good joke for those of you yeah, thanks for those of you guys that did see the game or barely saw the game because the quality of the broadcast was one of the worst things I've seen since Aggie Vision. Um, you know, tough game. We we did certainly did not play our best on either side of the football. Um, but we were able to get out of there with, what, a 45-28 win, something something along those lines. You know, obviously Jericho goes down five minutes in, Denny goes in, and um, you don't want to call him a game manager, that's fine, but what he was was very efficient, let the run game do their thing, you know, racked up, you know, a ton of yardage and a ton of points, you know, when they needed to. There was, there was a couple of shaky moments there between, you know, notably the O-line letting some people through. You know, the run game took a little bit to get going, but once we started clicking, you know, it was kind of game over from there. The defensive side was by far the most concerning concerning part, obviously, when you give up 28 points to a UMass team that only scored 12 points all last season. You know, that's a big red flag. Um, but let's just get right into it. Matt, what are your half fulls? What are your half empties here with uh, with UMass?
0: Yeah, look, I'll start on the negative side just because I think there was a... You know, generally sad aura over the day beyond the beyond the injury news I, I think the the first piece I want to touch on and I don't want to go too in depth here because I know we're we're going to have Sean on in a minute and I'm sure he's going to have a lot better insight than what you or I are going to have but the defense is just it, it, it's a major I don't want to say it's a concern yet uh, but it's just not good and it's not to the level that I think we needed it to be look it's these tune-up games and whether it's you plan down to your opponent or 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 just, you know, you're not up to game speed yet. But these are the games where we should be making it look really easy. And and they're not doing that at all, especially this week against UMass. I had an inside source tell me. Now, how much do we believe our inside sources? Probably not that much. That UMass barely even drew up a game plan for these four, first four weeks because they said, you know, we just know we have no chance. We don't have the resources to do this. Let's just focus on UConn week five. And they trotted out a kid who was playing against, I don't know, pick whatever, you know, random high school you want. Uh, as Milford, a you know, six, high yeah, played against Milford High six months ago. So you know the fact that we made well, he, him, he's
2: from he's from Milford. High. Oh, so he wouldn't play just, against Milford like, High. Yeah, a true freshman from right. Milford High that played gotcha. against Milford High's opponents. Right, you know. exactly. But again, the fact that you know he didn't
0: look. I think the announcers were all over him saying he was like the next uh, Joe Namath. But he had an okay day, and and certainly didn't have the day that you would expect a high school quarterback to play against this defense. So, you know, I'll let Sean go into the X's and O's of it. But overall for me, that was, I think, clearly the, the biggest disappointment beyond any of the injury stuff.
2: Yeah, I want to ask him about the secondary too. So we'll get into the details with Sean. But there was a couple of times where we just, we got beat. And this is by, you know, basically FCS level talent, you know, it seems like. So in a true freshman quarterback. So that can't happen. The biggest thing to me is the lack of pressure on the defensive line. Obviously, that's our weakest position. We think they, they did okay against Colgate, but obviously you can't put a ton of stock into that. You compare that to, to what Pitt did, you know, last uh, last week against UMass. Pitt had five sacks, held these guys to one point six yards per carry in the run game. Compared to us, we had no sacks, allowed four yards per carry. And I know half also keeps saying we're keeping it vanilla, we're not really blitzing. And when you know, we play against better competition, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll mix up the coverage a little bit. We'll, we'll you know we'll throw some stunts in there, maybe stuff like that. I just uh, you know to me it seems like we should really be dominating in the trenches. The fact that we're not uh is a little bit concerning. I will say Sheeta, you know, had a decent game. I think he had seven or eight tackles, had that PBU early on. But as a unit, they're just not going to get it done against ACC competition, it seems like. So I don't know if we'll find out against Temple necessarily, but we are going to find out against Missouri. But that's that's something that has to change as soon as possible because if we not if we aren't getting pressure, we are putting the D backs on islands and the D backs aren't as elite potentially and there's us overreacting as we think. Then uh there's going to be some high-scoring games that uh, that we're going to that we're going to have to deal with on the opposite side of the football. So definitely across the board there. Anytime you allow 28 points to a bad, bad, bad UMass team, true freshman quarterback, that's very much in the half-empty bucket there. Yep. Well, I
0: yeah can't can't echo that enough. And again, definitely looking forward to get to get Sean's thoughts on, Sean's thoughts on that. We might have to uh, send this over to uh, Tam and Halfway if he has some good ideas because I'm sure he will. Matt, next one on the Half empty for me. I might as well just run through the negatives first. The penalties, real quick, just penalties, 11 penalties for 99 yards. That's that's just too many. And um, again, just kind of reading the stat sheet here negative. Keep it simple.
2: Yeah. And that's just, and those are regardless of the opponent, right? Or if anything, you should be more disciplined against weaker opponents, but it's the offsides, right? And it's the lack of discipline. That's stuff you got to clean up because those are just drive extenders and absolute, absolute killer. Injuries we touched on, that goes without saying, you know, we've said it a hundred times, but anytime in in these games, if if you do one thing, it's Get out of there unscathed. Obviously, it's not just Jerick, but obviously Zay looks like he almost tore his ACL. Thank God he didn't. And he was oh, I think I'm
0: going to put that in a. I'm, I'm going to put that in a in a in a half full column. Weirdly, because well, him coming back and being 100 percent fine, <sighs> the way like where I was convinced when I saw him go down. I, I mean, I thought that was it, and this was you know we didn't know how bad, and I don't think we expected Jerks to be as bad at that time. But when he went down and there was even a ch- chance that Phil was going to miss like five more minutes, that was yeah. as low as I've felt in a, in, a, in a very low time, So in a very long time. So uh, to see him come back for me, Matt, you got to just, again, positive vibes. That was that was good for me.
2: <sighs> uh, just to finish off the, the half empty there, the blocking on that play, if you watch that replay, I know it's very difficult to watch the replays and we'll get to Flow Sports in a second. And what a disaster of a broadcast that was. Um, but it, it, they just, it, it almost looked like. Remember in uh, remember the Titans. I'm not sure if this is even worth saying, but remember the Titans. There's obviously this offensive lineman. He's kind of an undersized. I think he's a right guard or right tackle, Ray, or maybe he's the tight end. Actually, that's what he is, undersized tight end. But basically, he allows the quarterback Rev to get hurt. He just lets the you know 300 pound lineman through. Rev breaks his hand, which actually is, is foreshadowing there. Uh, but that's what happened on the. I'm not blaming anyone, but that left some someone on the on the on the offensive line. Missed their block. It almost ended our season because, you know, we could talk all we want about, you know, Phil going down. But if Zay goes down, both those guys are out, then this season looks a lot different. So that can't happen against UMass. It can't happen against anyone. The o line's supposed to be the leaders out there. You can't miss blocks like that. And, and you know, it's, it becomes a dangerous game when guys get into the, into, you know, the backfield unscathed like that. I will say the offensive line looked a lot better. For the most part, you know they obviously opened up holes in the run game, and we probably should have kicked this off by talking about Pat Garwell. Yeah, Pat yep. Garwell just completely took that took that job. Monster. We're, we're, he wasn't wasn't even on the radar. We said who's who's going to be the guy this year? it seems like Levy. Oh nope, seems like Sinkfield's got it. All of a sudden, I think it's Patrick Garwell, Matt.
0: It's it's not even a question. It's Patrick Garwo anymore. 160 on the ground. He had a 40 a something yard run that he ripped off, I and mean, he looked excellent. And again, this is the type of running game that you expect to see when you're playing a. I know they're technically FBS, but basically an FCS team. This is what we expected. And this is, again, kind of going back to the old school BC approach. So my hope is completely that we're going to be able to ride this out and that this is going to be a, a positive angle. Again, like we just talked about you know, a few minutes ago, but in order for this team to still have the you know, special year that I think we, you and I both think we can have, everything else needs to be firing on all cylinders. So if we can have Garo put in these performances and if the line can kind of pick that up, I think we're going to be we're going to be okay. So that's fully, fully, fully in the half full column for me. Second one I want to go with on the half full side here is technically us, but also our some of our special teams. Last week or might have been the week before, we were saying we needed a couple special teams or kind of, you know, Uh, freak touchdowns to happen over these first couple of games again just for the kind of the positive feelings they bring and we got just that we had a kickoff return touchdown and then we had that fumble return punt touchdown just a little fun stuff there and again credit to us for uh, for calling that one out
2: yeah Levy is very much in the half both in the half full and the half empty for that debacle near the goal line on that punt return that you know, gave UMass a free seven points, but then completely redeeming himself with that with that touchdown and the kickoff return. So, uh, you know, Levy, we did call it. So credit to us, but credit to, credit to Levy and credit to the entire kickoff return coverage. For uh, I don't think he was touched. He made a couple cuts, but other than that, it was really great coverage. Uh, Matt, I want to go quickly back to the offensive line that I talked about earlier. Whereas I'm putting the left side of the line in the half empty, and we don't like to single people out, but the left side of the line is in the half empty bucket till proven otherwise. I thought the right side of the offensive line played really, really well. You know, it seems like every time we run it to the right side, that's where a lot of the holes are. I'll I'll give you an example. Levy's second touchdown, or the Levy's touchdown in the second quarter, really, really good example of how zone blocking is supposed to work. Our guy Ben Petrula absolutely demolished a linebacker, got to that second level, and, you know, Levy – ran it up the middle untouched, practically for, you know, a 30 yard gain and a touchdown. So, you know, I really like how that's going. Trey Barry is, is doing a pretty good job blocking all these. He seems kind of hit or miss. There was one play that he really demolished, you know, one of the corners and that's just not fair from a size uh, perspective, but you know, it's, it's not rocket science in college football and football in general, the team that wins the battle in the trenches is going to win. And, um, you know, I think, I think the jury's still out. Are these the, is this the best O-line in the country at this point? Probably not. Have we seen flashes? And will they raise their game as the opponents get better? I think we certainly hope so. You, you talked about it earlier, but it seems like across the board, we uh, we sort of play down to our opponents, play up to our opponents. It makes for some exciting football. It gives us heart attacks every week. But, you know, we'll see. As the, as the competition gets better, we'll see if these guys step up or not.
0: Yep. No, I agree. And on the Trey Berry note, I do want to just give him a, a general shout out as the fact that even if his blocking is not, you know, best tight end blocker in the country – he seems, just from an athletic perspective, like the absolute monster that we all expected him coming in. Um, he obviously was incredible against Colgate, and and I think we saw a lot of the same uh, last week. So, love having this guy on our team, and I think he will be a critical piece in the Denny Grossell show over the next 10-plus weeks.
2: All right, I got one more thing on my list here, Matt. What the hell was Flow TV? What, I can't believe we're in the year 2021, and we literally had to watch a football game like that. Matt and I are both outside of the New England perimeter, um, and I, we're actually both on the road during this game because we, we didn't think it'd be a big deal. We thought it'd be a pretty easy win, and it was kind of the last Saturday before the season starts to heat up here where you can kind of, uh, you know, do some other activities type of thing. So, you know, I'm driving. I have flow TV. I'm not watching, but I am listening to it, and then if I'm stopped at a stoplight or something, maybe I'll sneak a look. It's good, good could, traffic
0: rules there, Matt. Appreciate that. That's just
2: – Yeah, and that's between us. That's if there's any cops (laughs) listening. Uh, I'm only kidding, but like rewatching the game, it's, it's very much impossible between being filmed on, you know, a TI 83 graphing calculator, the, the cutting to commercials mid touchdown play where the Geico lizard pops up in the middle of the screen. And then probably the worst of all, the announcers not realizing that Jerko was out of the game for like a full quarter and a half. This is why we shouldn't play UMass. This is why we shouldn't let them be in charge of the broadcast. We shouldn't. This is this is exactly everything I said last episode. We're a big time football team. I think the days of us being on Aggie Vision or even worse than Aggie Vision need to be over. And I think we're just better than that. That was one of the worst viewing experiences I've ever had as a fan.
0: It is kind of crazy that you know it's it's obviously above Halfley's pay grade and and certainly above our pay grade, but. It's kind of crazy that in the year 2021, it is still on the home team to broadcast the game. No, with no, you know, discrimination to who that home team is. Like, if you want to make that the rule when power five teams are playing power five teams, fine. If you want to include the group of five in that, also fine. But when you're playing an independent with you know basically the inability to even fit you know an audiovisual truck anywhere near the near the stadium, like what are we doing here? It just shouldn't be the case. And one of these conferences or one of these big TV partners needs to step in and say, if you're a Power Five team and you're going, you're playing at UMass, or you're a Power Five team and you're going to play at UConn, we're going to handle it on our side because this was unwatchable as a fan and you know, UMass football, I don't, I think has like what one fan total. If, if if the noise on Twitter was uh, any indication this week. So they clearly aren't, aren't caring to, to make enough, you know, racket to to change it, but that was absolutely unwatchable. And thank God that is the last experience we'll have this year.
2: Two, two of the UMass fans were in the booth. That was, that was another thing. Andy Grash, who I don't think he went to UMass. I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. If everyone just hates BC, but like actively rooting for UMass. And I get like root for the underdog, whatever, but like, that's like it was just the least professional thing I've seen, and no matter how you slice it, and the solution here is don't ever go on the road to play UMass ever again.
0: Yeah, I think you've changed my opinion since uh, since last week, especially with the no tailgating. So that's all I have, Matt. Anything else that we're missing on the half full, half empty?
2: Last thing, I want to give our guy Anthony Brown a big, big, big shout out for winning the game of the week. I don't know that a lot of folks saw that coming. Whether you're in Eugene, whether you're across the country, except for us two. We knew that A.B. had all the talent in the world and just needed a coach to extract that talent out of him. It seems like him and Joe Moorhead got something special cooking. And it wasn't anything, you know, phenomenal that he did necessarily. It was just, you know, making the right decisions, having a bunch of poise back there and, uh, you know, keeping the offense in the game. And, and that's all it was. And sometimes that's the key to success. So. Can't be happy. Can't be you know. Can't say enough good things about about AB. We joked about it at the beginning of the season. We'll see. We'll you know you know be BC Oregon in the in the uh, college football playoff. They are well on their way. I mean, they're going to cruise through the Pac twelve schedule. They're going to be there at the end. I would I would imagine. So uh, you know, really deserves it. Tony touchdowns by all accounts. Such a great kid. So uh, so really glad to see what he's doing uh, out west. I
0: could could not agree more. You know that we are the biggest Tony Ta- Tony touchdowns podcasts. On the internet, uh, there's a little bit of a sting that he's not doing this with us because I think you and I always knew what he was capable of. And again, to your point, we just didn't have the, uh, the right reins to, to squeeze it out of him, which is, which is unfortunate. But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's another issue that we will also let Sean talk about, uh, when we have him join us now. We've been waiting three weeks to get his take on Steve Adazio. So you're going to have that coming up, but you're also going to have his opinions on the defense and kind of what he's seen so far and, and how the teams are going to handle the injury to a star player. So with that, let's welcome on our guy, Sean.
2: All right. We got special guest Sean Sylvia in studio. Sean, how are we doing? How's your uh, how's your fall going? Uh, how are we feeling about the Maroon and Gold this year?
1: Fall's going well, guys. It's, it's good to be back. And... Um, I'm just happy to talk some BC football. I love the two and zero start, but everything's going well, and you know the weather's been pretty good, and it's it's you know that time of year again.
2: Absolutely, hundred percent. Unfortunately, we got to start with the bad news. I think obviously hot off the press as of yesterday for those that are on Instagram, everyone saw Phil Djokovic uh, posting that picture of his what appears to be a fractured wrist slash hand. Um, coming out of surgery there. Sean, what do you think this injury means for the team? Just give us your thoughts. What do you think it's, it's like in that in that locker room right now? I'm not sure if you had any, you know, in your day, any star players. Certainly didn't have anyone to this magnitude go down. But, you know, what are your general thoughts on Phil? What does it mean going forward? Um, and just let's just get your thoughts on, on you know, what, what do you think going is going through that locker room right now?
1: Uh, yeah, so – you know, first things first, everyone, everyone's definitely feeling it um, in that locker room, you know, in the dorm rooms, uh, you know, amongst themselves. It's definitely a big hit. But, you know, when you have a big hit, you have a big opportunity for those who still believe and, and you know, want to want to continue to, uh, you know, play well. And it's, it's just kind of like the next man up opportunity here. You know, but the the obvious elephant in the room is that he's going to be done for a long time, whether it's season or a significant amount of the season, but um, it's going to be business as usual. I mean, they're going to go in, they're going to work, they're going to lift and, you know, it's going to be the same routine. It's just going to be one man down, but he's going to be a very integral role player on the sidelines and helping him out. He's lost for, you know, on the field, but he's still going to be, you know, in the locker room. He's going to be in the meeting rooms. So his presence is still going to be felt. So hopefully that can kind of propel us into where we're supposed to be and, you know, still win those games that, that are, you know, there for the taking.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I think I would love to get your, your opinion on cause we're trying to keep the positive vibes rolling here for the fan base. It seems like it's obviously a pretty negative time and, and rightly so. But I think one of the things that, that Matt and I have been talking about is the weapons that are outside of the quarterback position. So we have an excellent wide receiving core Uh, running backs are at least starting to get their legs under them. Offensive line, maybe starting to gel and and the defense as well would be very interested to hear your thoughts on what you've seen throughout the first two games. That is, you know, giving you that confidence that, you know, with a game manager, a guy who just doesn't make mistakes, like this is still a team that can win a lot of football games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And with the running game being what it is, um, I think we have three very productive running backs that, that all, you know, give a little bit different styles to our offense. Um, you know, arguably that we didn't have last year. I, I see the offensive line definitely clicking a lot more, albeit, you know, playing Colgate and UMass that were definitely not the, the defensive fronts that even Temple's going to pose. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's all about angles, it's all about, you know, your technique, and you're going to have to execute at that level, even, even at a better, you know, with a better skill set and in, in all the teams that are going to be going down the road. I mean, these kids, I mean, they're not stupid. Um, they know the the caliber of, you know, teams they've been playing so far. Um, and they know what lies ahead with the obvious injury going down on the offensive side of the ball. Um, there's still a lot of work to do on all the other two phase, phases of the game. You know, defense and special teams definitely need to be cleaned up a ton to win anything. I mean, we're not, you, you can't win anything without those other two phases with or without Phil. So it's just one of those things that you know, the guys just need to go in and, and know what lies ahead and know the uphill climb they're about to they're about to be uh, embarking on and go ahead and you know kind of pick up where they did last year, not, you know, in that Virginia game or and some other games that were pretty ugly, but you know, just, just clean up your fundamentals and really being more precise and, and generating more opportunities for the offense, even giving that, you know, one of our, our main guns is down, giving them as much opportunity to score and You know, play a good field position game. That's pretty much that. That's pretty much uh, you know the keys to win is is those two those two aspects of the game, and they need to really clean it up on that side of the ball because you know that's a glaring issue even in the first two games. That it's gonna it's gonna rear its head very soon.
2: And it's it's funny too because you know, you think about when you talk about you know Denny, obviously. I have been very outspoken on, on Denny being my guy and I, I joke around that he's the best quarterback too in the country. If you think about like any other team in the country, even when you were playing, like if this injury had happened in, in your quarterback room, which I guess would have been people would be there with Reddick. Yeah. yeah. So like who was behind Reddick? Was that Marsco?
1: Would he go in? Uh yeah, it was um it was Mike, and then we had uh Darius Wade. Right.
2: So, and and no disrespect to those guys, but like for a lot of other teams, this is kind of a disaster of a situation when your starter goes down. It's kind of rare when you have, you know, a quarterback that has played as well as Denny has, granted in limited time and 2019 wasn't so great. But, you know, to me, it's, it's more opportunity. You touched about that, you know, a little bit. This is still a guy that can sling it. And you think about, you know, how jerkocentric centric this thing had gotten. Isn't it a chance for guys like, I don't know, like the running game. Certainly, Zay is going to have to step up. Guys like Trey Barry, guys that are going to have to, and, and you know, even more so defensively. Right? We're going to have to keep these guys, you know, close to the twenty-point range as opposed to you know, winning in a shootout type of thing. So, if this happened when you were there, I mean, what's what's your mindset? It's you know, we're going to have to be more aggressive. We're really we're not going to get away with the same type of mistakes. And I'm not sure if you if you watched that you know crap of a of a defense against against UMass, but I, know, did. Given a, I did. Give, Giving up some of those big plays, you know, that obviously can't happen. So what have you seen on the defensive side of the football? Do you think that, you know, some of those issues are are fixable? And where do they go from here, knowing that, you know, we're not going to likely, we're not going to win in a shootout going forward? The
1: beauty of football, especially early season football, against those type of teams is they're they're pretty much, their Super Bowl is is us. You know, Colgate, UMass being in state with some guys not receiving offers from us and whatnot. It's their Super Bowl. Whether they want to say it or not, it is. So their coaching staff, you know, all their plays, they're pretty much throwing the kitchen sink at us. What really, really bothered me was just the lack of fundamentals, even from Colgate to UMass, where the talent discrepancy was large, but still you know, they're not even on a any tier level that uh, as like the bottom of the ACC, which is not really a, a powerful conference <laughs> within itself. Just call it a spade a spade here. But they really, really need to hone in on, on their eyes and make sure their eyes are in the right spots. I think they're I think they're <clears throat> their elite talent on the defensive side of the ball pretty much is they think they can make it they can make up. A lot of these plays, or, or if they get burned, that they can make up, close the gap, and and uh, you know the space that, that is, that's been there. So I, I think that what they need to do defensively is just kind of go back to the basics and really, really key on fundamentals and just playing really, really good team defense. We have that Unwuka guy has been out for the year, and he was kind of a big. He was a guy that I really wanted to see in the middle, kind of control. You know those two gaps in there, but you know the the coaches, you know, you know, they get paid to coach to really, really accentuate our strengths. So what they're going to have to do is, you know, our coaches are going to have to come up with a great game plan, and I think Halfley does a good job of that. They have to come in and, and get really creative, not only on the offensive side of the ball now, but you know, the defensive side of the ball.
2: Generate a pass pass rush. That's got to be the biggest issue, right? And I know you had some good. You had some really good, uh, you know, DNs when you played, right? So I'm sure that made your life in the secondary a lot easier.
1: Made it a lot easier. And I think, I mean, it all starts up front. Um, But going back to your original question, you know, if someone like Andre Williams went out or something like that, that would be definitely crippling to our team. But it's just up to the offensive coordinator to come up with creative ways to get guys the ball get the ball in space get that Trey Barry going you know get really creative on the opposite, offensive side of the ball but at the end of the day they're going to have to line up and they're going to play they're going to have to play a really really big boy ball and and run the ball like they are so if they can kind of take that and run with it and get that offensive line just rolling off the ball and not having to pass protect as much for Grousel and you know just put him in the best position to be successful, you know, we're not going to win a lot of games with him throwing the ball 40, 50 times. It's going to be a lot more balanced. We're going to have to control the clock. And I know I'm sounding like coach Dazio here, but it's one of the, th- <laughs> it's one of the we'll get to him. that, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We need to get to him. But, um, <laughs> but it's just one of the things that we do. We, we do need to do kind of the things that he wanted to do, but didn't do terribly successfully, but, you know, control the clock, play great defense, you know, control flipping the field and, and, you know, really winning the field position battle. That's gonna that's gonna be the way we're gonna win games. It's gonna we're going back to the old style of BC now with our top gun out. I think it's gonna be one of those really grind them out teams that we're gonna have to run the ball well, be on third and shorts and, and being very, very favorable down in distances to go ahead and and take advantage of some play actions. Um, I love that tight end that we have. He's amazing. I think he's one of the more talented tight ends we've had in a long time. But, you know, a very Tommy Sweeney-esque type guy. If we can get the ball to him in space. Um, just get some favorable matchups. I think we're going to be fine, and I am also playing the optimistic role here because I think uh, Djokovic has been like one of the best things since Matt Ryan. But we kind of got a little spoiled with him and, and been tossing the ball up forty, fifty times a game. Kind of abandoned our, you know, bread and butter running the ball, possession, field position, and playing good defense to win games.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think that makes a ton of sense. But I, I so I want to go back to your point about uh, you know we talked about how. Uh, a good pass rush made your lives in the secondary a lot easier coming into this year. And in, in the preseason or Matt and I were talking, I think we knew that, you know, just on paper, the secondary was going to be the strength of, of this defense uh, certainly relative and the, and the defensive line was clearly going to be the weak spot despite this performance and and the performances we've seen so far, not being up to, you know, up to stuff necessarily. Is there anything you're seeing, whether it's scheme, whether it is, you know, the, the guys that we have back there, some of the transfers we have come in, some of these athletes, Anything that you're seeing that is, you know, going to put that shoe on the other foot, which is to say that, you know, you have optimism that this secondary is going to pick it up and, and be able to, uh, you know, get catch that slack for the defensive line? Or is that, you know, too tall a task for, you know, even, even the best secondary to, you know, completely... Uh, not eliminate, but you know, a, a highly relieve the need for a, for an effective pass rush.
1: Um, so a, a way you can combat that is really, try, I mean, going into the year and even just seeing how skilled those guys are. There's no reason for them to be. It, it's just a lack of discipline on that on that point. They're giving up big plays. So I don't think their eyes are right. I think their fundamentals are a little bit funky. I think they know they're playing sub, uh, you know, subpar competition. So maybe they're letting the foot off the pedal. I think maybe it might be a focus thing
2: that first touchdown you're exactly right it wasn't a, it wasn't like the quarterback had a ton of time to throw but that first touchdown that UMass had the guy just he ran a go route right past you know two of our better guys Brandon Sebastian and uh and uh, Woodby and he just they just they got burned yeah and
1: it's just it's just like going back to you know the start of that play there's no hands on there's no you know, really quick hip flip. There's no, I mean, he just got a lot of separation there. I think it's just a lack of focus. I think that people they're just getting lulled to sleep in these games, but they have to figure out, and and they better figure out quickly that you know the league schedule is is almost upon us. Not even the league schedule. You know, I'm going to the Missouri game, and you know Missouri's coming to town and you know they're mid-tier they, they have sec guys on that team they cannot for one second have any lapses in focus or any of that i think honestly you know guys read their own press clippings so you know, right wrong or indifferent they know who they're playing um they don't think it happened to them they're kind of going through the motions i don't think they were as focused as they needed to be so i think on the back end we have very immensely talented guys i think they just need to kind of get a more sense of urgency to go ahead and execute um but with that being said that is our strong point of our defense There's no denying that. so if i'm the d coordinator you know he doesn't have a big sample size this year albeit he was very vanilla in the first couple of games because he doesn't want to show his hand right now so putting you know very very vanilla plays on paper is, is kind of just dis- kind of disguising what we actually have in the install i think our defense is very creative he just hasn't shown it yet so i think he has a lot of bullets in the holster he hasn't really opened up yet which is a good sign and i'm just being optimistic here at the end of the day they're going to have to get a pass i think you got to trust those guys and send five six guys and just be like hey you're going to be on an island you you got to cover these guys and you're not going to have any help because you know this ball is going to be coming out and we need you to make play so i think that's going to be our best way to kind of handle the rest of the season
2: can we go a little bit deeper on that? Because I want to talk about the vanilla play calling. So I understand that's what you're supposed to do in the first couple of games. I understand the, on the opposite side of the football, we're going to run, we're going to do a, a limited playbook. We're not going to, certainly not going to do any trick, trick plays. But we're going to run it up the gut. Um, you know, we might do a, a Zay Flowers jet sweep where he almost tears his ACL. Uh, we might do you know a couple of, a po- couple of post routes, but we're going to keep it really simple on offense. I think we all get that. We understand that you know we're going to keep everything we, we can on the opposite side hidden. On the defensive side, can you just kind of go into you know, what that looks like? I know we we run a 4-2-5, and I know that, yep. you know, based on that, the way it works is you have a bunch of athletes on the field, but those four guys, if the onus is really on them because you only have two linebackers. You know, those four guys really have to get pressure, especially when we're going, quote-unquote, vanilla. We're not really sending the linebackers as much, it seems like. Is that the, the difference between – You know what we might do against the Missouri versus what we're doing right now is just kind of
1: amping up the 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 blitz pressure, or is there more to it than that? Um, I mean, it's a little bit more. I mean, there's there's a there's a base install that goes in. I mean, we are a four two five team, and that's our base defense. So everything kind of revolves around that. Now, with that being said, I'm going to take you back over to 2014. We played USC when we brought. I mean, we we had in our installs four to five packages that weren't even shown until that game. We had, uh, you know, three down with three linebackers and a five DB look. We had a one down lineman look with guys off the ball. I mean, we had so many different looks for them. That's how we got so many, so much pressure and so much sacks. It's game by game, but we have a lot of stuff in the arsenal. At least that was under Donnie Brown. I, I don't think the D coordinator now doesn't have stuff like that, that he's saving up. Um, you know, Deion Jones hasn't even really played. I mean, he's one of the he's one of the guys that I could see just being out there as you know maybe someone you could put in the nickel, someone you can bring off the edge. I mean, there's so much stuff you can do defensively. So the same holds true. I don't. Th- I think we're being very vanilla on defense. We're not sending anybody. I think we're just trying to you know keep our hand uh, a little bit hidden until I think Missouri. You know, if, if listen, there's going to be there'll be a little bit more of. Um, Concern if we do the same thing against Missouri and kind of sit back on our heels and, and let them dink and dunk all over us because they will and they will do it effectively and we, and we will not win that game if we kind of do what we're doing. But from my experience, there's so much that goes into the offseason, especially having a full offseason, especially having a full camp. We have so much in the arsenal. I know he's only only ran a couple of different packages. He's only ran a couple of blitzes from the field. I mean, just very basic stuff there's going to be some exotics coming out, hopefully. And I'm being very optimistic, but, you know, a good D coordinator definitely has some exotics for um, a team like Missouri or or league play that we can kind of start implementing into our everyday stuff. But he just doesn't want to show it on film because then everyone has it on film and they're going to be like, okay, well, look, they have, you know, this dog package with three safeties and Mm -hmm. they roll one up and they take, you know, so once they see that and they're going to prepare for it, I think he's keeping everything he can under uh, under a blanket. And hopefully he comes out with something a little bit more aggressive down the road. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, Sean, that, that was a lot better than the NFL
2: Blitz playbook version of defense <laughs> X's and O's that Matt and I usually get. So appreciate Yeah, with, that. With,
0: without you on the mic here, Sean, we we just kind of defer to Matt's you know 15 year Madden playing career where you think he just runs the same. You know, it cover looks like two we're doing engage eight out. guys. This it is looks a little like, bit different. Yeah,
1: this is a little bit <laughs> different. Engage, yeah, engage eight with a three D and just <laughs>
0: Uh, so so, we'd love to hear again. Kind of again, trying to keep positive vibes only right yeah. now. And in, in, in terms of what we're seeing, you know, based on what you've seen through the first couple of games, if you had to say, you know, one or two guys who are maybe you know less established, maybe younger or you know new to the team, who, who's kind of your and I know we're we're not doing dude anymore, but who who's your breakout dude of of the defense if you had to give one through the first couple of games?
1: Uh, I like that uh, that Mater guy. I Love that safety um, in the back end. Was that Mater? Is that his I name? I think it's Matre, but you can Maytree? say what you want. He's a okay, star. I'll have to look at um I'll have to look at the pronunciation guy for next game, <laughs> um, but um I really like him and 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 he's one of the guys and I don't want to give it away because I don't know how many people listen to this podcast or not but I think he's a guy that um you can move around and and you know he can create some really really tough tough matchups and he you know he fills really well I think he he plays good in center field um you you can kind of you can kind of move him around he could be like our john johnson type of player Ty Bruce. You, can, you know i i believe it because i think that that kid he moves really well you know he has a he has a, a very very good stature he he can tackle well he can he can play center field um he can kind of do it all for us i really as like an unsung hero. You know, i want that Dion jones to come back in and, and play a role He's a little bit bigger of a body. I think he could be a great nickel guy. um, When we start facing some tight ends that can give us some problems, he can add in on the run game. Hopefully he can kind of get off the scout team. He's a guy that, you know, he showed spurts last last year, playing really, really well, kind of fell, you know, hopefully he doesn't get discouraged and, um, you know, is keep playing hard and, and kind of hopefully get back into the rotation. Um, because he could be a guy that could be kind of not like a Milano type guy, but he could be someone that could, you know, rush the edge or get involved with the twist game or or any or any of that and just kind of create pressure with someone more speedy and kind of just, you know, hopefully get some better matchups with those linemen because the linemen aren't winning their one on one matchups, which is tough. So we're gonna have to create some some exotic stuff for, uh, to get some pressure on the offense on the offense side of the ball i want i i would love for Jalen Gill to get more involved i mean i think he's he's I-, I want him to get more involved in 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 some deep balls I want him to I, even over some like crossers um he's dynamic and i think um he could take some pressure off of uh zay and trey <laughs> um but i think there's so many people on the offensive side of the ball that can that can give uh, you know defensive coordinators fits. I just think that you know Grossell needs to go in and be a game manager, and not try to do too much like sometimes he, he he tries to do. But if he can go in and just know his role and let those guys get open, and I I I would like for that uh, you know Jalen Gill to get a little bit more involved with the offense and because he's dynamic, he didn't get an offer from Ohio State for no reason. So you know we just need the ball in his hands even on maybe some end around, I don't know, just trying to get the ball in his hands, some form or fashion, get that tight end moving up the scene because he's really athletic. He can pose problems. Zay, Zay. So we have the weapons. But listen, it's going to come down to running the ball. And if we if we cannot run the ball, then Grossell is going to be in for a long one. You know, we're not going to be able to get it to those playmakers. So we have to keep the defense honest because if not, the you know defensive ends are just going to pin their ears back and, you know, it might get a little bit ugly. But I think if we can control the line of scrimmage, which we definitely can with the our whole offensive line coming back, there's no reason we can't have a really balanced attack and, you know, give give people some problems with some, you know, play action, deep shots, and just get the guys going in the right direction.
2: thousand percent. I want to go back real quick to what you said about Deion Jones. I think that's a great point. You saw when he went out against, I think it was UVA, what that did to our defense and just to kind of expose us. I kind of liken him to a to Will Harris a little bit back there, where it's like he can he, he racks up a ton of hits. He's he's not as you know he doesn't necessarily jump off the page as much, but at the end of the game, it's like whoa, that guy has ten tackles and saved you know so many touchdowns that otherwise you know would have been six the other way. So I think that's I think that's an awesome point. I do want to pick one bone with you. Denny, in my opinion, is not a game manager. I I don't. I just game managers don't throw for five <laughs> to twenty yards. So that's going to be my fight all season long. Is anytime anyone calls Denny a game manager, I'm going to take that personally. Okay, I'm ready to I'm ready to defend the wall way through there, Matt. You know, and I don't yeah.
0: know that I believe it in my heart of hearts, but why not? It's it's positive vibes only.
2: I was trying to think of who who the right NFL comp to Denny would be, and I my my conclusion is there is not. Denny's just one of a kind. <laughs> Denny's one of a kind. No one has the types of types of intangibles. He's like Tom Brady mixed with. Russell Wilson mixed with Joe Namath—that's that, what I got for Denny. So those are my thoughts Mixed there. with
1: mixed with Ryan Fitzpatrick.
2: Yes, that's actually I like a great that actually, one right Ryan there. Fitzpatrick is actually probably wow. the best
1: one if we're just. That's being the honest.
2: comp. How you don't know how it happens, but it just does. <laughs>
0: I love it. That's where I was going with it. All right, so with that, we gotta we gotta get two things from you before we go. First one, just really quick, what are you thinking again now with this injury? And and let's assume for the sake of. Uh, Let's assume for the sake of just kind of keeping consistent, Phil's not coming back this year. What do you think our our record is regular season? Where can this team actually end up right now?
1: And who are our losses to? Yes. Uh I think I think we can still win eight games. Um it's just gonna be it's gonna be uh, you know heavily predicated on the run game. I mean, we're gonna have to go ahead and we're gonna have to get back to to the ground and pound. And I know the guys up front love to run block more than they do to pass block. So we can just get those guys rolling the right way, getting some good angles and, you know, getting them moving to the second level and, and giving those guys a little bit of running lanes. I think we're going to be able to win eight games. Can we go? Can we get higher than that? There's just like the ones that we're tossing up that it's just, it's going to be tough unless we do control the clock and run the ball. We can potentially get nine games. I think, honestly, I think, you know, to before, I think we can beat Virginia Tech. Like we historically do pretty well against them. I don't think they're all that good. I don't think that quarterback's that good, to be honest with you. He looked
2: awful last week.
1: Yeah, so, like, it's just one of those things where openers are openers. You know, anything can happen in an opener. And it's just like everyone comes into their own and, and everyone gets exposed at some point. It's just now that kid, we know how to stop that kid, and I think we're going to be able to. But everyone watches film. Everyone does it. It's just get to execute. But we usually play pretty good against Virginia Tech, so I think we can beat them. Um, Florida State looked really, really bad. Terrible. But that's a team we struggle with, right? So it's like, yep. it's one of those things where I don't know. It's you know we we're gonna we're gonna win. Let me just tell you this much: we're gonna win a game that we're not supposed to win. Whether it's you know, I hope it's Clemson. I hope we go in there and just beat the hell out of Clemson because nothing will make me happier. And I don't care if we lose the rest of the games if we beat them. But you got you got personal beef with Clemson after getting almost chucked from their stadium last year, right? Yeah, I have a personal beef with Clemson and their fake fans and everything that comes along with Clemson <laughs> and just the, you know, the headaches and all the body aches that they gave me after games. So, yeah, I think, you know, if we're going to be really optimistic, nine, you know, nine wins would be great. I think mm-hmm. we do lose to Clemson. Florida State, I think we can still beat them. It's just we always shoot ourselves in the foot in that game. We, I don't know, whether it's halftime adjustments, whether it's just we're, I don't know. Just the Florida State, they have like a funky, weird aura about them when we play them. I don't know. I think we can beat Virginia Tech. I don't know. I think we can win all. The I think. Games, I but, think you just talked yourself I mean,
0: into ten. There's no. I don't. You don't see any other losses doing, on that
2: schedule.
1: If I we I keep this I'm going long enough, I,
0: we're going to get you back to fifteen
1: to zero. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like last year, right? So we're going to win all the games. But yeah. uh, realistically, you know, eight wins would be would be great. We always play NC State well, so I think we can beat them. As you know, even though they look like a pretty decent team, there's just something about them. We just always beat them for some reason. But I don't know. I think nine wins would be a very, very good season, and we'd have to start, you know, rolling up the brink, Shuck for Coach Halfley to extend them after that, because uh, it's a very enticing job out in USC now. That that yeah. needs to be that needs to be filled um I know James Franklin's been kind of rumored about that but um we we need to we need to pay the guy um, the guy's been the best thing to our program in a very very long time so we need to retain that All
0: right well I think that is an absolutely perfect segue before we let you go we've been looking forward to this for the first couple of weeks I need your thoughts and I think all of our listeners and the entire BC fan base needs your thoughts on what is happening
1: in the state of Colorado right now with our old friend, Steve Adazio. Uh It's, it's, it's pretty much par for the course. I mean, what's happening over there is what happened at BC. It's just, it's, it's a very stagnant out of style offense. It's, it's someone that is very, very stuck in his ways and will not change. And and it just pounds your head into the ground over and over and over and over again. and, you know, he's already lost the locker room. There's no way those kids are happy. They're they're not going to play hard. I mean, they have an amazing tight end. Um, I hope they don't kill a kid, but he's going to be playing on Sundays. But it's just the fan base. He's lost. Him. I mean, I'd be surprised if he lost the year. He's not like I said, he's not a bad guy. Like he's not a bad human being. <laughs> he's just not a very good football coach. And that is extremely apparent. And the press conferences, they're the same. Everything is the same. It's just over and over and over again until i mean i don't know i don't know who's going to employ him next but godspeed to that program because he took a program under mike bobo who you know beat us i mean went into our stadium and beat us in 20 what was it 12 or 13 that was a bad
2: loss but i'm not blaming you but
1: that was a bad loss that, that was a loss. loss so it's just one of those things where he had a program you know coach bobo um who my buddy already was uh played for at georgia he was their offensive coordinator and spoke very highly of them. But he did, I mean, he did a pretty decent job getting, you know, he had D Hart in there. That was an Alabama transfer. He was trying to get that program going the right way. Um, but moral of the story was he was too good for that program and, you know, got a better job, obviously. But it's just one of those things where, you know, Coach Adazio just needs to hire good coordinators, but let them coach and not be the guy to, you know, take over – and just kind of just beat a dead drum and run the same plays over and over. I mean, I watched one of their games on purpose and – I was, I was watching with my, uh, with my girlfriend actually, and she's going to be listening to this. So, but we were watching it and I was literally on the couch calling out their plays. I was like, here comes hammer. Here comes guy. Here comes zone. It's the same place. Here comes play act, you know, 40, you know, minus 40 yard line. Here comes play action, deep shot. Here comes, you know, tight end, you know, drag, here comes waggle. It, it was just the same stuff. And if I'm doing that, you know, washed up eating popcorn, uh, you know, from my couch, I can only imagine someone who puts in, you know, hours of time on tape watching him from offenses that really haven't uh, progressed. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a run it, run it, run it, run it, deep shot, run it, run it, deep shot, you know, move the pocket because they can't protect. It's just one of the things. It, it's just the same old thing. It, it's very disheartening. I feel bad for the players. I know how it feels. I know how that locker room is and it's not good. I know how those, I, I just know how those practices are going and those meeting rooms. And it's it's getting ugly over there. So, like I said, I, I'd be surprised if he lasts the season.
2: Front page of the Denver, not front page, but headline of the Denver Post a couple days ago steve adazio's colorado state rams have 0 and 12 written all over them. so that's uh he's getting some press that he didn't even get in the boston days so uh you can see him starting to crack already
1: <laughs> all press is not good press that's I guess, right in the case of steve <laughs>
2: that's right but let's be uh let's be fortunate we have coach half and uh yeah look again looking forward to having you on in the future thanks for the time sean really appreciate anytime. it anytime
1: anytime boys i appreciate it and uh you know, you can always call me. I'll be at the Missouri game and we'll be ready to rock. All right. I love it. Go Eagles. All right. Go Eagles. Take it easy.
2: All right. Big thanks to Sean Sylvia. That was awesome. Always great to get his, his thoughts on Steve Adazio. Always great to get, you know, a deeper dive on the X's and O's. And and hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We got a few minutes left in the show here. We do want to talk temple. Um, you know we don't want to overlook any opponents at this point, based on what we saw last week, especially given the Jericho news, especially given the Boomer news that we haven't touched on yet. But we're not sure who's who's kicking field goals back there anymore. You know, the long man, I guess. Till till yeah, you know, it's been it's who's been the
0: whole two weeks. Yeah, it's the long. Well, they
2: keep. Th- I think they rotated the freshman in there a little bit. Doesn't matter. Uh, let's let's get let's get Temple kicked off with our favorite segment, and this is a special edition. Matt, what do you got for tailgate ability?
0: Oh, Matt, it's a good one. So as everyone knows. Half of the Fourth and Dude family is based in Philadelphia. See the other one here. The other one is here in New York. But it is a full-on BC 2013 reunion happening in the city of brotherly love this coming weekend. Matt, it's going to be so much fun. You know, we got a bunch of us staying at your apartment and other friends' apartments down there. We're getting in Friday night. Uh, you know, going to just have a heck of a weekend if I can say so myself. Right now, Matt, the weather for Saturday looks absolutely spectacular. Little rain we get it on Friday, but by the time we all wake up on game day, it is—I mean—picture perfect football. Uh, peaks at 84 degrees, sunny. Uh, just can't imagine a, a better day. In in uh, any other nicknames for Philadelphia, I don't just want to keep a going c- back to c- the city, c- city of Philadelphia. Of- Oh, you did say that. I already mentioned that one. Oh, right. you know, here's here's another one, Matt. the 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 Liberty Bell City. I don't know if that's an official name, but we'll go with it. I think you just um, made that one up. We're we're trying to figure out our tailgate plans. We're we're trying to decide between you know doing something at a bar, you know, in the city, just because it's so convenient to the link, uh, or or well, here's out to the stadium. But I'll defer we're to the just, local on this.
2: Yeah. Well, so we'll do some grilling at the house. I got I just set up the grill. We're ready to roll. So we'll have some smoked meats in the morning. Nothing better than that. Um and and I'm gonna go straight to lunch meats I think Matt like we're gonna go straight to dogs burgers sausages I'm just gonna skip the breakfast component yeah. um so that's maybe a little donkey's there. run
0: maybe a little donkey's run yeah but, yeah absolutely yeah, it'll be part. an
2: early morning Saturday obviously noon kick um if you guys are set up uh, at the link in the parking lot let us know. And then post game as well. We got a whole itinerary set up. So, uh, but if you guys are heading down for the game, let us know, and uh, and we'll link up. We'll, Matt, we'll bring. Do you have koozies ready, or no? I guess we, we don't. Well, have that koozie no, our right koozie yet.
0: production uh, hit a little bit of a snag because the Dennis Grossell news. Now we're uh, kind of pivoting. How do we want to frame yep. this? So everyone, yep. stay tuned. Hoping they actually will release. Uh, we may do. We may do a, a, a the unforeseen move of doing two different koozies this year. So yep. everyone, stay tuned over the next couple of days. Uh, those I've seen some of the mock-ups.
2: Soon. They are. Fresh, yes. Um, you're gonna want to get your hands. They might be a little polarizing, but that's. I think that's all we'll say for now. Matt, my official tailgate ability score is twenty six point four RVs.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm going to go I got to go a little bit higher than you since since uh you know we actually get to to take the Amtrak down. Everyone knows I'm a huge train guy. So yep. it doesn't get better than that. I would rather, you know, have to spend an hour on the Northeast Corridor uh any of those tracks. I don't know if we're doing the Acela, the Keystone or the uh, Northeast Regional, but it's just a, an excellent system that the just Amtrak has. Just keep us posted place.
2: On, on which train. Yeah, we'll
0: do. Matt. So with that Matt, you did 26.4, <laughs> I'm going to give it the Amtrak bump uh to a clean 27.9. Uh, we're going to have ourselves a, a good weekend down in the uh, the home of Benjamin Franklin.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun weekend. It's going to be a historic weekend. We have mm-hmm. some uh, some historic uh, activities lined up for you, Matt. So, oh. you know, look forward to that. I know you're a okay. big national treasure guy. Yeah, I am,
0: uh, You know me. You know
2: me. Um, all right. So let's get into the football a little bit. Temple kind of stinks, guys, but we're not going to overlook them, right? We remember we played Temple. They played us pretty tough a couple years back. It was 2018. I think we ended up winning by 10. Uh, but it was kind of a, a game that went down to the wire a little bit. So, you know, they're a feisty team. They are one and one on the year. They got absolutely demolished week one by Rutgers 61 to 14 in a game that just really, really got out of hand quickly. Um, you know, that score is a little bit inflated. There was a whole bunch of, they had five turnovers. The quarterback got banged up. Uh, Rutgers might actually be OK under Shiano. That's another factor. Um, and then they beat Akron last week, Akron, Akron, Akron Ohio,
0: Akron, yep. who, uh,
2: who is in the cellar of the Mac uh, the past few years, it seems like that, but they did go down 14, nothing to Akron in that one. So uh, Temple, I think the jury is, is, it's not even that the jury's out necessarily. It's just, they've kind of sucked ever since Jeff Collins left uh, for Georgia Tech a couple years back. You guys remember the Manny Diaz disaster where he got hired for about two days and then uh, the Miami job opened up, and Diaz went back down to Miami. Uh, they were terrible last year. They went one and six uh, in the shortened COVID year. Um, Matt, do you have any football knowledge about Temple? Or, or what yeah, man, I got a Temple? couple
0: of things. So let me just say okay. quickly here. First of all, uh, I do think that this is basically just UMass part two. Uh, the Whoa. stats. No, it's in terms of in terms of the team that we're going in and playing. I think that if well, they were the to play UMass right different. now. It is, but there's some other factors that play there. I think that if they were to play UMass right now, that would basically be a, a zero point spread. Um, I think Akron, Matt, it, it is is you know one of if not the worst team in in all of FBS. So really nothing doing there. I have no concern that we win this game. I think that you know you or I could go out there. We talked last week about how bad of an real quarterback you were. I think you could start for this team and, and we still win by multiple touchdowns. So, you know, with the best second – with the best backup quarterback in the country, um, I truly have no concern. The only thing I just do want to note, Matt, I want to just hark it back to that 2018 game. I don't think they were that good either. I looked this up, Matt. We have up 450 yards to Temple in that 45-35 to 35 win. I
2: think they were, they were a bowl they, team. That were year. they a bowl team that year? I think so.
0: Okay. I don't know if that makes it much better, but I, just looking at that number, that was absolutely appalling to me. Uh, their quarterback, Matt, I have this, is a former four-star Georgia transfer, um, Mm -hmm. but he did not play last week and he was injured early against Rutgers. So a little bit unclear there. I think that could potentially change the thing, you know, it'd be a little bit of a test for, for our defensive. So, and maybe that's why, you know, that line is, is the number that it's, uh, that it's currently at but you know they, they've got some talent but it does seem like overall just not coming together here so um, I'm feeling pretty confident I don't know what else you have on the on the on the football side of things because I don't want to yeah, waste too much time with these guys
2: no you're right and, and I, I also had you know that quarterback Dewan Mathis is his name he transferred from Georgia like you said um, big time recruit so and he's also mobile so that's always you know a concern I don't know if I think did you mention he's day to day? They're not yes. sure. Yeah, who's going to play? Yeah,
0: they
2: might. They might roll two quarterbacks even if he is healthy. The freshman Justin Lynch, the true freshman Justin Lynch, um, was very efficient last week. He had nineteen for tw- nineteen for twenty three for two hundred forty five yards and two touchdowns. But again, against a very bad Akron team, uh, he's mobile as well. So again, D line needs to figure it out. I will say that, that their offensive line has been really bad. They allowed three sacks and 10, 10 tackles for a loss to Rutgers. So, uh, you know, if anything, hopefully our D-line, I know we say this every week, but hopefully our D-line can get going um, because this is going to be one of the, the easier O-lines to go up against. It'll be a good tune-up for, for Missouri. One guy I also wanted to highlight, they have a pretty good wideout in Randall Jones. Kind of looks like the AAC version of Zay Flowers which I know is is high praise. I don't mean it to be that high praise, but the AAC version, eight catches for 208 yards, two touchdowns already this year. So that will be a test for our secondary. Hopefully we shore up whatever the hell happened last week. And then, you know, like we said, they've allowed 45 or 44.5 points per game this year. They are a sieve defensively in the rushing game. So in my mind, I think the way to, to, you know, in a perfect world, Garwell racks up 200 yards. By the way, Garwell's brother also plays for uh Yeah, for
0: Temple, I love that subplot. So,
2: yep. Yeah. Talk about city of brotherhood of love there, Matt, huh?
0: Sure is, Matt. Yep.
2: There you go. So, you know, a perfect world. The O-line gets going. We rack up like 300, 400 rushing yards on the ground. And then we save Denny because everyone's, everyone's down on Denny. No one thinks he can throw the football. We unleash Denny against Missouri, but don't give him any tape to watch. I got Eags 52, Temple 18, and we run him off the field. Okay, we're
0: shockingly similar yet again. I know I've predicted, well, I predicted fifty-one last week for us, and we scored fifty-one week one. So I'm kind of keeping it in the same general ballpark. Although this week I'm going forty-nine to fourteen, keeping it very simple, just just straight touchdowns. There's no field goals, there's no safeties, there's no mixed extra points. As a math guy, that's that's really kind of comforting to me. So uh, sevens are wild all over uh, all over the field, but I feel really confident this game is not even close. From the get go, I think we were just a materially better team, and, and that's the end of it.
2: All right, sounds like we're getting a W in Philly, and we are on to Missouri. We are undefeated, but let's take it one game at a time, there, folks. And
0: let's keep the positive vibes going, everyone. I mean, that's come right. on, like we have the season's not over. We have a very capable second quarterback. I know it's you know I know it hasn't been the happiest uh, couple of days on BC Twitter, but guys, like we got Denny. He is America's backup quarterback. We're going to be just America's QB
2: two. We don't like QB2. backup anymore.
0: Okay, we don't America's say backup, QB2. It's pejorative. Okay, look again. I'm I'm not ready to cancel the road to 15 and 0 yet. It's on life support. But Matt, you can't go 15 and 0 without going 3 and 0, and we're about to be 3 and 0 in Philadelphia next Saturday. Get in, folks.